Okay. This recording's already been going for three minutes and 48 seconds. So um, Holly has a lot of surprises to, to, to go through. Um, we're just continuing the theme of Holly's flatmates share good things at Blueprint. Um, but no, hi, I'm Jessie, everyone. Um, and yeah, we're talking about teaching today, although I don't know how much I'm actually teaching. Cool. But um, I thought it would be helpful um, to start with the Bible um, and to share some verses just to kind of keep in mind. I'm not actually doing any kind of thing around these verses particularly, but yeah, they're just good to have in mind. <laughs> cool. So um, the first one is Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, which says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Beautiful. The second one is from James 3, verse 1, which says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that you you who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. I disagree with James, Um, (laughs) partly because um, I think really what it's getting at is the importance of teaching and not that you guys shouldn't become teachers. Um, And then also the difference between being a teacher as a profession, but um, being a teacher as a a calling and as a gift from God. I think it's really important that we see how we all operate in all these gifts. Um, That's one of the big things that we've seen throughout this series is that it's not like oh, that's the prophetic people over there in the corner, we don't talk to them. It's that we are encouraged by their um, exercising in their prophetic that I, as a teacher, can be prophetic also. Um, Yeah, so I think it's not about uh, some of you should not become teachers, but I think we are all called to teach um, in some ways, um, whether that's up the front like this, whether that's in a classroom, whether that's way more relational um, and, like, one-on-one. There are all things that we learn from one another. And ultimately, regardless of whether you're, like, really, like, nah, mate, not a teacher, not going to do that, we are all called to learn. Um, We are not called to stay where we are. Um, Sorry, I just realised that there's a whole bunch of people over on that side. (laughs) We're all called to learn. We're not called to stay static as um, as we are now. Um, God wants us to grow and to flourish um, into the full measure of who we are. So I sat uneasy with being a teacher for quite a while because I'm surrounded by um, teaching, the teaching profession in my family. Um, My nana was a teacher. She used to, like, in the 40s, um, hitchhike across Bay of Plenty teaching PE to different schools. I just love that. Um, She used to go with the AA man. Um, and then every now and then, um, the AA man would have to be like, sorry, can we just divert here, actually have a job to do. So great. I love it. I wish I knew more stories around that. Um, my parents are both teachers. They both taught at my high school. Um, yeah. <laughs> now you know. 
the one really good thing was is that my dad had an office so I could just leave all my stuff in his office um so no carrying around that like massive heavy like out did you guys have the like alpha beta gamma maths textbooks that were like this fat and you used for like one day yeah so I just left it in my dad's office well yeah it was great um but yeah also had my had my parents both at, at my high school um my sister's a teacher my brother-in-law's a teacher just a lot a lot of teaching um and I guess um yeah there was kind of this this big thing around like education is important and um learning is important and um that it's it's important for kind of like this thing. So I sit a bit uneasy with that, but also um, I think there's kind of a, a disconnect for me around intellect and teaching. Um, it often were kind of like put together that like the teachers are the experts and the teachers know everything. Um, and I've never felt that way. I've never felt um, that I know everything and that I have enough expertise to share with others. And yet um, I do feel that I am called to be a teacher in the context of these gifts. So I guess what I'm getting at is that in that very long introduction is um, teaching is so much more than a set of skills. It's not about downloading knowledge or expertise around a subject. Rather, the function of the teacher in the context of ministry is to care for the spiritual formation of the people in their community. Spiritual formation that includes the whole person. So it includes their intellect, but it is not limited to their intellect. Like all of these gifts, they are for building up the community and the growth of God's people so that they operate best when we're actually in community with one another and working alongside people that we know and love. So the deeper question of what formation is, we need to ask, what is it to actually learn and to know? And I think the heart of that is we can only teach what we ourselves have learned. But to learn is to be shaped by what we do over and over. And what we do over and over is shaped by what we love. So a lot of the ideas that I'm talking about today um, come from, I feel like this is every time I, I talk, um, come from two books that I really back but haven't finished. Um, so one is You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith and the other is a book by Marva Dawn called Power's Weakness and the Tabernacling of God. And they're both great um, and both will take a long time to get through and I'll tell you if I change my mind about whether they're great when I finish them. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, first point that I want to make is that we teach what we love. So growing up, I used to go to these uh, Christian kids' camps. I'm really glad Anna's here because I feel like she can relate. I actually met Anna at these camps when we were 15 and leading. Um, but, yeah, there were these Christian kids' camps, and my favourite part of it was always the memory verses because you got a lollipop every time you got a memory verse right. And then at the end of the camp, you also got points for how many memory verses you got right. It was, oh, it was, like, so good for me to, like, affirm that I had an important role in my team because I could do the memory verses, including the long one, which sometimes was quite challenging. Um, but there was also this really lovely, gentle soul called Grandpa A, who we used to tell the memory verses to. He was just, like, actually like a massive teddy bear, and I remember he used to have, like, Winnie the Pooh vests as well. It was really great. Um, and he used to stand up every mealtime and, like, give us a thing, like, everyone has done today's memory verse. Isn't that so great? And, you know, like, 
there are over a hundred kids here who have done the New Testament and like there's 10 people who have done the long verse. Isn't this great? Anyway, he would then change tone and he would be like, you might learn these memory verses and know them well enough to repeat them to me without some notes. But what I really want you to do is learn these memory verses and commit them to heart. Like know them by heart and really take that seriously. And I think there was this deep understanding for him that um, we didn't learn these things properly until we actually learnt them at our deeper level and let them change us. There's this verse in Luke that says, from out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. When we teach, it is primarily about where our heart rather than our head is. We often view and value ourselves by what we think and how we're rational. Um, And I'm really against that. I, I really back thinking deeply about things. But I think one of the big lies that we've been told is that um, we are rational beings and I don't think we are. I think we're primarily relational. I think we're primarily about um, seeing each other face to face. And I think God is a relational God and he often speaks to our heart first. Um, St. Augustine thought that our hearts and our desires had a lot more to say about what we became than our mind and our intellect. And he has this famous quote that says, You, God, have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we rest in you. And I think our world has coerced us into becoming restless people, that it's shaped us instead of looking to love God to looking to love other things and yet try and rest in those things. And it isn't that those things are bad in themselves, it's just that they're thing, again, of what comes first. Teaching, and I think, yeah, teaching has been co-opted into this as well. Um, It should be that teachers are responsible to show and articulate what is true, good, and beautiful through their own lives. And instead, sometimes they're reduced to becoming articulators of knowledge. Um, separating the heart and the head and speaking only to the head. I think the challenge in this is, what is it that we love? What is it that we find our hearts pulled towards? And if we look at that really deeply, is it the place of deep rest in God? So first point, we teach what we love. And the second point, we teach what we do, and especially that which we do over and over. I used to have a ritual starting my day with my phone, my alarm, and it kind of became like quite normal for me to pick up my phone and turn off the alarm and then see all the notifications that had come in overnight and start scrolling and then 10 minutes had passed and then 15 minutes had passed and then I finally got up out of bed and like ran to morning prayers, which we do at our flat. Um, And I started thinking more and more about like, is this actually a good way for me to begin my day? And more than that, like some of those things were really good. Um, like the amount of times that there'd be a notification and I'd be like, that's right, I've got a leaders meeting this morning. Um, or like, oh, this thing has happened overnight. Can we pray for that? That's really cool. But also a lot of the time it became, I, I guess it kind of showed me where my priority was. Um, was it in preparing myself for the day? and beginning the day as I intended to, um, in line with that deep love for God? 
or was it about this other thing, um, this connection or false connection with others? Um, and so I started putting my phone onto flight mode, and I don't turn off flight mode until after morning prayers, which sometimes means that I uh, <laughs> do not get to lead this meeting on time. But <laughs> that's just an opportunity for me to learn better responsibility for my timetable. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it has helped me so much in starting my day without, like, with just turning off my alarm and then getting up and getting ready for the day. And often the first words that I speak or the first words that I read are words of prayer. And I think that that, for me, aligns so much more with what I hope to train myself to love. So teachers, potential teachers, or anyone who is any step further along potentially than anyone else on this faith journey. What we do is important because it shows what we love or what we want to love. And what we love should be what we want others to love as well. And I remember in this that the word liturgy literally means form. There's a form to our service here tonight, um, and that's much bigger than what's in the blue book that we'll read later in the service. Um, It's in all we do and say over and over, these patterns of connecting with one another and with ourselves and with God. I have a liturgy of the morning that no longer involves my phone. Beyond the written liturgy of morning prayers, I have a liturgy of... um, connecting with my flatmates in the morning, of sitting in a blanket, of having a cup of tea or coffee. They're all good things. Our everyday practices are liturgies and forms that reveal what we are about and what we want to be about. So one of the questions in that book, one of the books that I was reading and reading, will continue to read, is um, this, which I found really confronting. What if our orientation to ultimate flourishing was inscribed in us such that it became automated? In other words, what if we were so formed towards showing the love of Christ in everything that we do that our every action consistently demonstrated this? We are about the whole person and the whole of life. I believe we're called to live lives where everything we do is in a culture of desiring God's reign on earth. To make these changes, we need community and we need a commitment to the practices, even when we may not necessarily enjoy them. A teacher's function in this is to encourage the community and to continue through, to continue to point to the love that we are journeying towards. Disciplines become habits and habits over time become delights. We can talk about this as sacramental ways of living outward actions that reflect an inward reality. We practice our faith by what we do. And we practice both in the sense of the word, both in both senses of the word, both in terms of literally doing it, but also that we are learning how to become better at doing it. And more, I guess, automated in doing it in the best way sense of that. So what are the things that we're doing over and over? And what implicit in that does it show me that I love? So we teach what we love. We do that by what we do over and over. And we teach when we ourselves have learnt that it is God who is the teacher. 
I remember ages ago in a sermon that is most definitely no longer on the Blueprint website that I tried to find it. Um, <laughs> I, um, the person who was speaking at Blueprint talked about the song that she really liked as a child. And it's the one we often sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And she really liked it because she like just used to think that it was about like literally just like turning your eyeballs. Um, like just this like really little move. It's not asking you to turn your whole head, just your eyes. But there's something that's really beautiful in that. And I think that's actually really true, that we do this tiny little action to look and the things of the earth fall strangely dim. And we meet with God and everything else, kind of like everything else is relying on God to show up and to work. When we learn, we are training our eyes and our hearts to turn that little bit and to be on Christ. And out of that light, we are working. When we teach, we're reminding others that that is what they need to do too. One of the themes of the last few weeks has been to recognize that we are really good at reducing gifts uh, to skills and techniques that we can master. I think teaching is one of those ones where that's particularly at play. Like any of the gifts we've looked at through the series, it is always possible to work out of our own strength rather than God's. I think this issue of intellectualism and disembodied learning comes in really strong in that sense. That's where we've talked about the liturgy is getting critiqued as inauthentic because it comes, it becomes separated from what its meaning is. And um, I often reflect on this passage in, in Isaiah um, when I am leading, and I came to it initially um, when I was worship leading at my church um, up in Auckland, and I was about 17, and I was really, really scared. And I was like, eh, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> um, and I came across this passage, and it says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. We need our teaching to be anchored in our deep trust of who God is and of God's power in the work of the community we find ourselves in if we intend to teach. This connection from prayer and fellowship is not good <coughs> teaching. We need our teaching to reject this culture that says that it should be about being right and about having the best argument and accumulating the most um, awards or, yeah, acclaim. Our action is tiny to turn our eyeballs to Jesus and keep turning back to him. God's power covers all the rest. Marva Dawn, who's the other author of the books, one of the books, wrote this. Only in death to ourselves and in dependency to the triune God indwelling in the community of faith can I or we learn to discern how is Christ Lord over the powers and through the powers. So she's talking about a context where churches don't always act as they should um, and sometimes they act as they really shouldn't. But it is us recognising that it is God acting through us that we can discern what is right. We're up against this pretty pervasive culture, and we cannot do this in our own strength. 
It is God who does this work in and through us. Last year, um, I quit my job and started studying theology and moved into this university context. And it was an interesting time for me for a lot of reasons. But one of these was it revealed all my anxieties and kind of uncomfortable, like the uncomfortable feeling I had with my longing to be right and to be correct and to be kind of known for the way that I thought with environments on every side where I didn't know enough or I, yeah, just, I just never knew enough. But one of the really life-giving things was to realize that in studying theology, we talk about it as an academic discipline and we get taught it, we get taught what to think about God. But um, theology is so much more than that. At its heart, it is truly about worship. It's about finding glory hidden in the words and writings of the Bible, which ultimately is the living word, and making that known. So where are we trusting in God for his revelation through us? And where are we working in our own power? So our teachers are our deep thinkers, our provocators, the ones who challenge us to look at God again and again until this is our intuitive response. Our teachers are these things because they know that what we learn and what we all learn together is that which we see done over and over again. And what is done is an indicator of what it is we love. Teachers function not in the skills or techniques which are taught, but primarily through God's power and the spirit in each of us.